Welcome to episode 100 of the Infusion Breakdown Show podcast. On this week's episode, the Breakdown crew sat down among ourselves to do something we haven't done in quite some time. We had a free talk episode in which we talked about everything from Derek Chauvin's recent guilty conviction to what we were currently looking forward to. Let's see what we've come up with. Good times as kids. You got to worry about bills or nothing like that. <laughs> What's up, Dez? What you been up to? Chilling, bro. Just chilling? Yeah, let's go. Let's go ahead and get to it. How's, how's the markets looking? Oh, shit. It's been a good week for the markets. Good? Been a lot of movement. What, what's, what stock should I invest in? What's what's going on? You know, I don't do stocks, big dog, but I got uh, stock <laughs> in uh, Pfizer and Coke. They've been doing pretty solid. Pfizer and Coke? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I, I would buy that. Apple before price shoots back up. Always. Coinbase just IPO. That's pretty huge. Being that cryptocurrency is becoming such a, such prevalent as it is, and that's where people are really allocating yeah. their attention. So, and then also Fidelity. This is just direct from Ringer Leader, and I did some a little bit of research into it. That Fidelity has applied for a Coinbase ETF. So that just shows you how big that is. And then also they're backed by Y Combinator, which is a company that invests in companies that are on the rise. And if you look at the track record, Ian suggested us to do this. So I actually went on Y Combinator's investment portfolio. And I saw that they had previously invested in DoorDash, which you see how like well DoorDash is doing if you look at their their growth since the IPO last year. And then also I believe Y Combinator invested in Airbnb and they have a similar thing. So they I think they both IPO the same day or, or very near close, but they're both doing extremely well. So that's just uh, to give you an idea of how well Coinbase may potentially do in the future. Okay. So you don't you don't buy stocks because you just you just do you just don't like why why don't you do stocks? Because you have to be attentive to stocks. It's like one or the other. You don't day trade and then you don't trade forex and stocks simultaneously. You do one or the other. Uh, well. It's two different markets. Uh, hmm. So I think I want to talk to you guys about the biggest thing in the news right now biggest thing in the media and <laughs> you knew it was coming yeah that's what my first what's thing that? was yeah josh um what's the biggest thing in the media we're talking about i'm not even gonna bullshit you I was, thinking, I was gonna say something stupid yeah we're recording okay i was gonna say something stupid like you normally would try to pull pull the wool over my eyes yeah you couldn't think of anything <laughs> i was just <laughs> like i'm gonna let it rock <laughs> but so with the verdict of the Derek chauvin murder trial that was just announced uh, within the past hour and a half i believe so right as my work day was wrapping up, I was looking through social media and I was looking at current events news just for things to discuss and they happened to be on there. So what is what does that mean for you guys or what are your thoughts on it? But Josh, I guess you wouldn't have any thoughts because you didn't know about it, right? No, I know about it. I was just playing. You can go first, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I'm uh I'm I'm happy for um the, their family. I'm definitely happy that their family got, you know, the their just or the justice that, you know, they deserve. I think um, you know, I'm not sure if they'll go to sleep feeling better. You know, I hope they will. Uh, but I'm more or less concerned about follow-up actions like sympathizers, anything like that. Cause I always think that if there would have been a non guilt if there'd have been a non-guilty verdict, then you would have had protests from people who are angry with that outcome. So I kind of think to myself, like, if there's people that are upset about the non-guilty outcome, and rightfully so, 
then there also has to be people that are, you know, going to be upset about a guilty outcome. And my biggest concern right now is that, you know, when we were talking a few uh, podcasts ago about uh, mass shooters or things of that nature, when they want that notoriety, this is like the most fertile time for that notoriety because it's like the first time in a really long time that we've had an act that is this, uh, this uh, egregious, you know, finally get its due diligence and get a guilty conviction. So it's like the most fertile ground because, you know, we think about how big the George Floyd incident was, you know, the whole wide world was paying attention to that. So if there's somebody that, you know, wants to do harm, you know, eyes are on the U.S. right now. I mean, they'd have the, the you know, the motive because of notoriety uh, in regards to this case. And they, I mean, there's people celebrating. So you'd, you'd have targets and you'd have the desired outcome of getting, you know, the notoriety. So that's like my biggest concern right now of that what if. But overall, I'm, I'm definitely excited that, you know, he got his, um, that he got his, or he had his day because I remember, you know, riding in the car with my best friend when George Zimmerman got off. Uh, I remember, you know, being in, um, going to going to school or going to class right after the whole um, Mike Brown incident, like in Philando Castillo and all of that. Like, I remember having those conversations with, you know, um, friends and, and, you know, I guess you could say colleagues or classmates at the time and just having that, you know, and he's going to get off mindset, like, there's going to be no due process. There's not going to be anybody being charged, you know, for their crimes, you know, badge or no badge. And it's like the first time that like, I think I was anxious for an outcome to see. Cause I mean, the league, I think, you know, two or three days ago, the league put out a, a notice to the teams, you know, telling them to be, you know, prepared for whatever outcome that comes with this trial and I remember one of my best friends who's uh, in the Secret Service, like he posted to his Instagram. So he's like, it's crazy that, you know, the league and all of these other, um, you know, major businesses and franchises are, you know, already putting out memos to take precaution. And, you know, the biggest, I'm not gonna say the biggest, but, you know, one of the most uh, coveted agencies in our government isn't really informing their, you know, their, um, you know, their members of it. So I think it's a, it's both, I think it has, I think it's very, very great but I think it has potential to be very, um, it's a landmark. We'll just say it's a landmark um, in our history, American history. Um, I agree with that. I mean, I definitely am happy for the family that they um, got, that he got what he deserved. Uh, I'm not really concerned really about what Desmond is concerned about. I'm not really concerned at all to really how what really comes to me after hearing the verdict is okay i'm definitely happy for it but we're not done because this is definitely still happening definitely like desmond said there's other other people that still got off like george zimmerman uh philando castile's murderer he got off so i feel there's definitely still work to be done as far as not only that and then fixing the system too so that, that's that's really what i come up with just i'm definitely happy for the moment and it's a good feeling of euphoria but it's not done yet. We're not done. It's still a long way to go, I'll say. Yeah, I think I'm pretty much in agreement with the both of you. Des, you kind of spoke about sympathizing. And I thought about to the to the lesser degree of extremes, because anytime you have high profile criminals or individuals in jail, for example, like Charles Manson, there's always people who are writing letters like fans who are who indulge in that kind of thing. And so even recently with Kyle Rittenhouse, the guy who um who shot the the two people 
during the protest recently. I'm familiar. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he was receiving, he received a letter from a member of the police force yeah, here, yeah, in, here in Norfolk. Yeah. And he was in the letter was saying that you did nothing wrong or God bless you or something, something on those lines. So what that indicates to me is, I mean, it's very clear and apparent. I think I've spoken on this before is that that mindset, those people who have the, the ideology and ascribe to them, they aren't going anywhere. I mean, that's why it's, that's why I think Josh said that it's still work to be done because just because we have this court case, this court rule and this verdict that was delivered, it doesn't mean that everything is fine and, and that Black Lives, Black Lives Matter is no longer needed. Like we don't need to be paying attention to this. It's just like, okay, this is the first of many small events or and if you look at like the, the grand scale of history, the first of many that need to play out in where we need to have similar justice delivered in these situations. Sure. Not to minimize the, the status of what happened though, but just being factual based on time. Did you, did, when it, when it, uh, any one of you follow the trial at all, closely? No. Not at all. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Oh, okay. I was about to ask, did you guys have any opinion on whether he was going to be guilty or not uh, before the verdict actually came out? You know, I started to watch it, and then I realized that, you know, when it comes to the legal profession, like, there's a dark side of it, and I really you know, felt some type of way about the defense's, um, you know, argument against George Floyd and like, you know, the things that they were bringing up in regards to drug usage or whatever. And like, they were pretty much, um, you know, being debunked by anyone of some type of medical backing or uh, police force. Like, I believe the, um, the uh, what is it, police uh, chief came out and said that, you know, the actions that he, that Chauvin did were completely unnecessary. And it was a situation that could have been de-escalated. Like you essentially have these people in who are superiors to Derek Chauvin. And then you also have people like medical examiners coming in and saying like, if Derek Chauvin would not have had his, his knee on George Floyd, we would not be here today. Like you have people coming out saying things like this, like directly correlating the action to the outcome but yet defense is still coming in and trying to character assassinate George Floyd when it has nothing to do with the case itself. So it's like when I started to get a glimpse into, and me just, you know, political science pre-law major at ODU, like me getting into that glimpse and knowing exactly what they're trying to do, that's like you have to go into a deep, dark place to, you know, say those things and come up with those things, like from a, from a legal perspective. And like, it just kind of, for me, taints that, you know, glamorous image of being a lawyer, because there is a dark side when it comes to the legal profession, where you have to transform into this, I don't want to say deity, but you have to transform into this demon, and put aside all emotion, and moral ethics, and say these things, in an attempt to character assassinate somebody, you know, for, you know, the betterment of your client, like, Truth to be told, he could feel those those type of ways about George Floyd. But at the same time, like within the legal profession, you know the ins and outs. You know what rules need to be followed, not just for, you know, your bar, but also, you know, the the for the people that you are representing, you know what police are supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do. So with you knowing the ins and outs of both sides of the system, both how a judge will rule and then both how police are supposed to serve the public 
you would think that there would be some, you know, conflicts of interest internally between, you know, what a lawyer feels is right and what a lawyer feels is wrong. And I feel like when you start to go down that path, man, it's hard for me as somebody who has those aspirations to watch because it's just like what could become. And I think that just seeing it sliding down that, that, um, that path was something that I didn't want to, you know, entertain in any way, shape or form. When you were just explaining that, I found it really interesting about the, uh, the difference between the two sides of the law that you were explaining. And then you still have interest in that, which I thought was, I kind of want to talk a little bit about that too, with the fact that you said maybe the lawyer doesn't exactly believe that the people who are defending Chauvin, but they're doing it because essentially the lawyers are bounty hunters and they understand that if they don't take the case of somebody else will, and then also what can attract somebody to these high profile cases, because, okay, it's a hell of a gamble, but if they do win that, they get notoriety, they get more clients. So it's, it's, there's definitely motivations behind taking up and defending certain, certain defendants in cases. So with you wanting to be a lawyer in the future, how do you, how do you navigate that? And what are your thoughts on separating yourself from the specific case and how does your morality play it? Stay away from. I was going to stay away from criminal law. (laughs) Hey, look, I'm I'm gonna keep it a buck. Stay away from criminal law because I remember being in low key that frame of mind. Because when we take um, God, I can't remember the name of the class, but uh, my counselor at ODU was Dr. Brazelton, really brilliant mind. Went to um, University of Alabama, got her uh, juris doctor from Vander, I believe Vanderbilt. Um. She was. She essentially did like all of our upper level um, law classes, and I remember I taking the class twice because the very first time I was just in a very very dark place and didn't you know do any of the work. So the second time I took it, I knew the case that we were having, like the little pretrial thing or not pretrial but um mock trial that we were having, and I remember being on the opposite side. I remember being on the defense, and I remember having to think like, okay character assassination is the only way you can win this case. And I remember telling one of my, what we would call co-counsel, this is what you have to say. And she didn't say it. And I realized the moral dilemma that even in a mock trial, when you have to character assassinate somebody, you're, you're going against yourself. Like morally, you know, it's incorrect, but you know, for the sake of the case that it has to be done. And I I remember getting a glimpse of that because I knew what had to be said in order to win the case. I told her to say, I said, this is all you have to say. And she didn't do it. Like she went up there and she froze because I could hear in her mind, I I could see her mind churning. Like what she wanted to do wasn't successful. And I saw the pause and I saw, no further questions, Your Honor. Like I saw her get ready to say it. And to be in that frame of mind to where you're, you have to be that demon to character assassinate somebody, you have to play the role and you have to play it well. And if you can't play the role, then when you try and go down that path, you're going to trip up, you're going to stumble, you're going to make a fool of yourself. So for me, I realized at that moment that I had the uh, moral deficiencies to play the role, but I knew that when you start to go down that path, there's no turning back. And that's right, right then and there, I was like, criminal law, it can't be something I do because me, I'm too conscious of a person to try and play both sides. You're going to create a lot of turmoil not in your life, but more or less like spiritually, mentally, and then physically. Cause of course all those stuff are intertwined together. Like you start playing both sides. You're going to, you're going to slip up and you're going to fail at some point. Yeah. You, you don't think you could have went up there and did the same thing. Oh, I could have right? did it. I would have did it. And I oh, you could have. Did- 
Oh, you'd yeah. have done it? Oh, okay. I, oh, I, like, okay. I, bro, I had everything right now. I told her this is exact. I gave yeah. her a piece of paper. I said, just say this verbatim. But you wasn't like, faced with that moral dilemma, though. You wasn't. No, okay. no, at the time, I wasn't. Like, <laughs> okay. for me, I have no problem playing devil's advocate. Like, I, I enjoy playing devil, devil's advocate. But when people's lives start getting, um, you know, involved and you truly have to take into consideration, like, there's outcomes and your action doesn't just affect the uh, plaintiff your actions also affects the plaintiff's family, the plaintiff's children, the plaintiff's relatives, as far as like close friends or people in their circle. Like, you know, I always think like as a lawyer, if you come out and you character assassinate somebody and you're successful, there is means for revenge. Like somebody will feel like, okay, you got this asshole off. Now I'm going to come get my revenge because I felt like I wasn't, I, I think in that realm, that's why I said, you know, my fear is, I'm happy that the family got their justice, but I'm also fearful of sympathizers and sympathizers. They don't, um, they don't care who they harm. They just harm. And that's, and that's why I come from that, uh, you know, train of thought is that like in the legal profession, like you're, you have a target on your back. If you choose to go down that path, that is a moral dilemma. And knowing that I could do it, it's a little bit scary, but it's something that I abstain from because I know I could do it and I could do it well. But do you have to be that type of lawyer though? I mean, nah, that's why I said stay away from criminal law. Like I, for real, I think if and when I go to law school, I would be more concerned about the business aspects of protecting business, like things of that nature. Cause I have a really big, uh, as I'm getting older, I have a really big affinity for business, not business management or business administration, but just the full concept of business, like finance, economics, all that stuff. Like I have a really big, um, affinity for that. So knowing that there's a legal side to, you know, those, uh, those things, like that's what I would naturally gravitate towards, you know? And I mean, of course there's more dilemmas that come with finance anyway, to where, you know, doing stuff for, for bribes or doing stuff that, you know, are, is illegal, but still choosing to do so, but it will be more or less, like I've always said, like when I become a lawyer, it will be for the circle. It wouldn't be for like, I want to be successful to the point where my legal services are a gift rather than, you know, a, a means to pay off a pay tuition or things of that nature. Like, I would want to go to law school and I can afford to pay it out of pocket and not have to, you know, slave to pay it back or go work for the government so they can, you know, forgive my loans or things like that. Like, I, I'd want to do it to where if it's what I'm meant to put on this earth, to do, or if, I, if it's what I'm put on this earth and what I'm meant to do, then I'm doing it at my leisure, not because I feel like I have to. Gotcha. Josh, do you feel like you would be able to separate yourself from a case being that if you were a lawyer in, in an incident like this? I could say, yeah, I feel like it would definitely be easy um, to character, character assassinate, but I do feel like I'll be thinking in the back of my head or be thinking at another point in my head, like what I even do but was I doing the right thing or you know what I mean um yeah I'm not sure if I can like I can say yeah I can do that shit like it should be easy to character assassinate somebody but I, like I wouldn't know if until I'm in that mock trial like Desmond said you know what I mean so I think it's I think it really is a situation type thing really but I, I I did I have said though I feel like I would be a good lawyer though why because I feel like if I could turn it on and really do something like that, then I, I, I feel like I would do it to the best. Like do it one of the, as one of the best. I have my own reasons why I think you may be a good lawyer. Why? 
because you have, for one, you have an extremely pragmatic way of, of looking at things. So you try to put together all the pieces rather than jumping to an assumption, which that's pretty critical because otherwise you have holes in your plan. And then also you seem to be able to look at the entirety of the playing field from an objective standpoint. And then based off like example, with our discussions, if Des and I tend to agree on something and you kind of want to explore the alternate side of the conversation, you'll adopt it as your own. And you can do that on a relatively quick fashion. So for those reasons, I think you would be able to translate those into being a good lawyer. Yeah. That's good. I think uh, one of the things we kind of talked about a little bit off air about, you know, police being buddy, all buddy, buddy with each other, being basically a gang, another gang in the, in the street. Um, and what we saw in this trial, something we really haven't really seen was the like police actually telling on the like oh no nah, that's not what you're supposed to do you know what I mean like he's like Desmond said the chief is like no he, that he, he wasn't following procedure at all you know what I mean mm -hmm. I feel like that's something we haven't really seen do you guys feel that'll continue like police actually turning against each other or do you guys feel I, no I think it's yeah. it's something we're going to I don't I'm not gonna say police turning each other but I'm gonna say police doing the right thing because I have seen videos of officers that are upset about the perception that they have due to their, their line of work, because you have examples of officers who go out there and, and bastardize the law and do things and do public executions and just overstep boundaries. And they get a bad rap for it because they, they're, they're typically held accountable for the actions of not only themselves, but other people and they're preaching other people across the board in their occupation. So, you know, they're starting to get fed up of it. Same exact thing. What goes on in Minnesota just doesn't affect Minnesota effects, which what goes on in Virginia, New York, Florida. Like, I think we're out of that phase. I think we've been out of the phase. I think people are just now starting to react in a way that's gaining more attention. And I think that, you know, people are starting to grow conscious and realize that the actions of some, you know, ignorant person bastardizes the, you know, um, the profession as a whole. Is is that because of morality or is that because of technology? Because we're seeing it a lot more. So maybe the police have no other choice but to turn them in like, oh, okay, damn, I, I can't defend you. I can't defend you. Like, yeah, he wasn't doing police well. I mean, but we've had video evidence out. before and we've had the opposite verdict. Like what? Like what, what, what do you mean? Like which one? That we've had cases where there was video evidence of what happened. Eric Garner is, the I think, the perfect one. That, that was, that oh, was one that I would think about. Well, I can't say I'm on Aubrey. Yeah, that, 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 video that, that, was, uh, that was pretty fucked up, yeah. The case isn't over, but yeah. Eric Garner is probably probably the best example. I mean, I think you have technology on the uh, Mike Brown situation too, where even though a struggle ensued, like he was running away, like he was in full retreat and you still just shot him dead in the middle of the street. It wasn't like he had the gun or had any type of weapon or grabbed anything off of him and took off running as a means to defend himself should another entanglement ensue, like... Mike Brown was in full retreat and you just shot him dead and then left his body in the street. Like, you know, I, I honestly think that, you know, I believe that the cops that um, feel like the acts are wrong have always had that, that feeling for it. But I think when you kind of look at um, how internal affairs work and how like if a cop is maybe outspoken towards the actions or another than they're blacklisted or blackballed. And I think that there's finally getting to a point to where public's perception 
is starting to matter more and more and more because it's gaining not just, you know, clicks on, you know, on um, the internet, but it's getting hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of, of coverage on worldwide news outlets. You know, CNN isn't just in the United States. CNN has a worldwide outlet. Fox News isn't just Fox uh, United States, Fox News USA. Fox News is an international news outlet. Like, so we have present day U.S. issues when it comes to public and police being broadcasted on the world stage. So I think that when you begin to factor in all this stuff, and I think to answer your question, Josh, like, I think it is more of a technology thing because now we're seeing, now now more eyeballs are able to see it. And eyeballs aren't just seeing it once, they're seeing it hours upon hours a day, almost to the point of oversaturation, but it's kind of like a good oversaturation because, you know, there's a quick and more rapid response, like the Dante Wright uh, shooting in Minnesota again, like that happened and people knew within hours or days. Like, so, whereas before this shooting happens and you hear about it a week, two months, however, however, you know, much longer later, like, I believe it's, it's a double-sided thing to where like, as more viewers and more eyeballs are, you know, getting a, or gaining win or whatever, how you want to say it, to atrocities within, you know, police force and, you know, the public, people that are internal, they're, they're like, okay, I don't want, I don't want to go out and be a target for somebody. I don't want to be a revenge killing for somebody. I don't want to do a traffic stop and feel like I have to have my gun on my hand on my holster the entire time because somebody may be looking to take me out or somebody may be looking to get me before I have to get them. Like, I think it's starting to get to that point where they're starting to realize that as the public grows more and more outraged and the rift between public and police starts to grow wider, then people who truly enjoy being a cop become, um, they become collateral. Like they truly love what they do and they do it to the best of their abilities. But because people are continuously fucking up, they become collateral to somebody else's fuck up. And because the people who are messing up aren't being held accountable until, you know, now it's like, okay, let us, let us act right. Like we gotta, we gotta, same way the media is using, you know, their outlets to portray the cops a certain way, the cops actions a certain way. These cops can now use that same media and those same platforms to say we are against it and let and let something happen to a cop now like they've already gone public and they've stated their views let a department do something to them people are going to want that police chief's head not literally but in the sense of they're going to want them removed because there's so there's so many ways to get a message across now than there was 10 years ago and really nothing has changed. It's just the amount of people that are on these platforms have increased tremendously. When we think about Twitter usage 10 years ago, it's not what it was today. When we think about Facebook usage 10 years ago, it's not what it was today. Or what, it's not what it is today. Same thing with Instagram. You know, I mean, if you look at TikTok, TikTok has blown up, you know, to pretty much, I, I guess you could say walk Instagram. I'm not too sure about numbers, so don't quote me on it. But, you know, like it, it, it rivals Instagram, like in a matter of, a couple of years, like, you know, Instagram has been building this platform for 10 years or how many ever years and TikTok has just came up out of nowhere and it provides a message, you know, within 15 to 30 seconds. Like it, the means to getting messages across now are like so much more easier than what they were 10 years ago to where, you know, they kind of have to do stand up. Like 
the wrong message can immediately be fatal for them. So, you know, I think it is going to be a time to where they do start to come out and, you know, say more, but I do think it's a direct result of, you know, technology advancing. Gotcha. I may have misspoke. I just looked at some data and apparently Instagram still has the edge over TikTok. I thought I saw something contradicted to that a few weeks ago. If they do have the advantage, I'm pretty sure it's slim just because of how easy TikTok is to use and how, you know, Instagram. Yeah, TikTok has been, been around for what, what, two years? Yeah. What, so it, it, Instagram has been around, what, for 10 years? So the fact that they're even close is kind of big right there. The fact they have a slight edge, yeah. You know, it takes probably one more year and TikTok will be, unless they fall off like Vine or some shit. But yeah. Then it'll be so, something else. <laughs> something else. Something else that was in the, the news on yesterday, and this is nowhere near the scale of the Derek Chauvin trial, but it made me think. And I'm going to try to put something together here. <laughs> so, Josh, on last week's episode, you kind of spoke about the pros and cons of healthcare efficiency, like healing versus treating things and the money the city gained from it. And then, like, there being cures for certain things like cancer and AIDS. Do you, re you recall that? Mm -hmm. And so on yesterday, Walter Mondale died. Does that name ring a bell to either of you? No. It should for Desmond. So he was Jimmy Carter's vice president and he was 93 years old, I believe. And so I was thinking like a lot of these former presidents and VPs, they they end up dying like in their 90s. And then also like with the British Royal Monarchy, they are like prehistoric <laughs> when it comes to like their ages and just how old they are. So I think that may lend some credence to your idea about the existence of cures for certain things. And if not, I mean, they, I mean, they still are susceptible to, to diseases and things like that. But it's just, I think there's definite grade, gradations of the quality of healthcare that they receive. And I think even within like the vice presidency and, and presidency, you do receive certain benefits upon you exiting the office. So what are your thoughts on that? About the quality differential between the healthcare that normal citizens receive and then also um, people like that, world leaders. And then also, I mean, do you even think that's a thing? Do you think that they live to be in the nineties because of that? Well, yeah. No, you, oh, what is what I say? Just to answer the structure part of it, like you got to remember Trump, every, every president has their own personal doctor. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to think like if somebody's analyzing you, you know, weekly, daily, monthly or whatever, that's way more frequent than you and I or anyone else will go see every, their what, six months? primary care physician. So like That's a year, yeah. like they have somebody <laughs> that is getting, you know, cutting edge technology when it comes to the medical field. And they're getting daily, weekly, monthly checkups. So, you know, I think they're primed to visit or live until, you know, their 90s. And, you know, if they hit triple digits, so be it. Simply because they have that mandatory attention because they're such, uh, of, they have such high value to, you know, the American structure, if you want to put it that way. Like, I mean, think about it. Um, what's his name? Biden reached out to uh, Bush, consulted Bush for something you know, within the past two weeks. So we kind of have the, yeah, yeah. 
for um, pulling the troops out of Afghanistan. So we have to remember that, like, even though our presidents are out of office or presidents are out of office, like they leave office, sitting presidents still reach out to them to get some type of um, advice or counsel, exactly, on issues that they did when they were in office. So I think that for the most part, presidents, I think they keep their detail. And I'm pretty sure that would include some form of, you know, a doctor as well as they as they leave office and you know it's not a surprise like I, i'm not gonna say it's unfortunate as well because some of the presidents have done really great even though we have this quote-unquote figurehead-esque look towards them um mm-hmm. i think some of them you know i'm not gonna say they've earned their their uh, right to have you know unlimited access to uh medicare or whatever but i think that you know it's it's a perk that has came with their position yeah, yeah, I agree definitely. Uh, I think the other thing too, they can, aside from always being looked at by the doctor, because what Desmond's saying is definitely right. They see the doctor way more than we see our doctor, more than likely. I don't know how often you see a doctor, Brian, that. but yeah, you said what? I overlooked that fact. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I also think like they can eat better too, because they have the money to know what they eat, and plus they get the proper advice from the doctor to eat. So plus like poor i don't want to say poor people but lower income people eat worse than like richer people you know what i mean so i just feel that's that's definitely a part of it too and like desmond said the doctor thing is definitely a big thing because they definitely see a doctor way more and they can and i probably give them way more advice too on what to do they probably yeah because i feel like most doctors don't tell the average citizen what to eat where probably a rich person they'll probably tell them oh you need to start eating this if you want to live longer you know what i mean so i feel there's definitely benefits yeah definitely then it comes down to like listen to the doctor and how much of that is actually because they did and i don't know but i mean you, rich person is more you do raise very valid points yeah rich person is more than like gonna uh, listen to the doctor because they want to live longer so they can be richer longer you think poor people just want to die so i don't think i don't think it's really about that i think it's really more about poor people who don't have the time or really the Accessibility. I yeah, think the word you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, accessibility. Yeah, accessibility. Yeah, accessibility. Yeah. So I think that's really it. Like, yeah. I don't think it's necessarily like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it didn't have accessibility. Like, gentrification definitely doesn't help because where these health shops are popping up are no longer black populated. Like, even though, you know, it's popping up, uh, I know, like, you have Town Center Cold Press, like, there's one in Ghent, maybe like a few blocks away from ODU, but as more and more white people are coming into, you know, urban Norfolk, black people aren't going to have access to that, and nor do they have the, I mean, the funds to, like, I mean, yeah, I think to eat healthy, you, you're talking about a minimum, minimum of $10 spent on a meal that may keep you full for about three or four hours, whereas if you eat Chick-fil-A for $7, Seven dollars and some change, like you're gonna be fooled for quite some time. Like I challenge but, that theory. Well, then again, I mean it's the it's the education as well. But I I actually, I mean, I want to see it. Like I'm I'm not gonna lie, I have access to pretty much every food available as far as you know, and higher in that as far as Wegmans, Whole Foods, or if you want to go down to Popeyes and Chick-fil-A. So I have I'm not gonna say access, I have knowledge of uh, you know, a variety of foods that are available, but someone who is lower income like they don't have access or knowledge of like if you know you don't got Wegmans money or you don't have Whole Foods money you're not even gonna look to see what they have available you're gonna walk in and probably think you're in Toys R Us 
I think that's a good point, but I think you're also overstating the cost of eating healthy too, because like food line has fruits and vegetables. You don't have to go to Wegmans just to get that. They do, but I'm thinking more or less of in like the the superfoods, like you like to make yeah. an acai bowl. Uh, like acai bowl, probiotics like 10, and things like that. Exactly, like fruits and vegetables, you, you can eat those, and I mean they're they're more common. Like you know, you have those in your school system. But when I'm talking about when you actually start breaking this stuff down into the meals that equate to you know satisfying your diet on a on a caloric scale. And then you also start factoring in, you know, getting your proteins, um, everything associated with a balanced diet. Like mm-hmm. then the, that line or those, those lines start to blur because you don't know how to make a lot of that stuff. You don't have knowledge of like when you think of tofu, like ain't nobody eating tofu, but there's a lot of people who are within like this health field and have knowledge of how to season tofu and make it good or whatever. Like yeah. they're eating it like me. I've known about tofu for a very long time. People tell me, yeah, you season up, it tastes just like chicken. You Like they say all this stuff, but for me, I'm not buying into it. Even though it has these great health benefits, you know, you're not eating meat or whatever, I'm still not buying into it. So, you know, you got to think that like me, I'm willfully not buying into it. Somebody may be ignorantly not buying into it. Like they just don't know nothing about it. Like they hear about mm-hmm. tofu and they probably think of Panda Express or something like that. Tofu, I, I never could i never could stomach it not in the sense it would make me sick or anything like that but just like i just didn't like it just because the consistency of it it just it's a complete turn off something you're not used to if you season it does it taste like chicken brian so i've heard i don't cook with tofu (laughs) oh okay i mean i've had it to me it's to me i felt like when i had it it was more so a texture than a taste because it was inside the dish that it was cooked in and you would like you would eat a mouthful of it, and you could just feel the texture of like the cube of tofu. Hmm. Yeah, I never had tofu. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Have either <laughs> of you considered going vegan or vegetarian before? Of course. You have. Yeah, I've actually. Uh, I have never fully tried, but I remember back in 2017, I went to Yard House at like eight o'clock. And I had a um, barbecue chicken pizza and it was vegan or vegetarian or whatever, to, however they classify it on their menu. And like, that was the first time that I had ever eaten that late. This was like an 8.39 PM meal. That was the first time I ever ate that late and had energy. Because normally everything you eat, you know, fried foods or whatever at eight, nine o'clock, you gonna pass out. Like I had this barbecue chicken pizza this vegan or vegetarian barbecue chicken pizza. And I had energy to carry me into the AM. And like, I was just like, man, is this what it's always like? And Lucas's mom was like, yeah, like, why do you think I'm going vegan? Like you have nonstop energy. Like when you eat, you don't feel drained after you eat. Like when you eat, you feel refreshed, fueled to get more done with your day. Whereas if you're eating like an unhealthy diet or whatever, that you have that you have what feels like fatigue yeah you have what feels like fatigue from your body trying to break all that stuff down and i'm like okay it makes more sense like i was truly truly um interested in it but it's a study and it's something that i didn't 
put as a priority to become knowledgeable. Like I'm, I'm definitely aware of all the damage that, you know, eggs, milk, red meat, all that does to your body and, you know, how long it takes your body to sometimes process and break down some of these foods. Like I'm definitely knowledgeable of it, but I think the accountability aspect just allows me to come out and say, like, it's not a priority for me to become well-versed on what a vegan diet consists of. Maybe someday. Josh, I think having a kid it. makes it a lot harder. <laughs> For sure. Um, I've, yeah, I've thought about it, definitely. Um, I don't, honestly, right now, I don't even eat that much meat to begin with, to be honest with you. So I'm like, if you say a half vegetarian, I probably, I'm probably that, but I don't eat that much meat at all, to be honest with you. And I was never a huge meat eater, to be honest with you. I was never huge on fried chicken. I was never huge on like chicken in general to be honest with you like, I just liked it but I was never huge on it like I never ate steak like I'll eat sausage like pork sausage that's like the worst thing I'll eat but I would never eat like you would like, eat pork sausage but you wouldn't eat chicken that's that's bizarre to me no 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 I said no I said I would eat chicken I just said I'm oh. not a huge chicken eater that's what I'm saying gotcha. like, I, don't, I don't eat it that much you know what I mean but yeah I definitely eat it but um but yeah I just like I'm not I don't chicken all that much so i'm like half vegetarian too but i I have thought about giving up like dairy lately too um the only thing too like i I put milk in my coffee like in the morning so i don't like (laughs) stop fucking laughing You put milk in white, bro. Shut up. <laughs> Stop fucking laughing. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> but yeah, I do that. So like, uh, but you said I could do what, Brian? You could do almond milk. I don't like almond. Like, I don't I don't like almond milk. Soy milk. Yeah, is that good? I mean, yeah. <laughs> There's a variety of milks for you to try. Yeah. yeah. I prefer I almond milk myself. Yeah, you, you have like I mean... soy milk, almond milk, oat milk. There's a bunch of milks and like, there's a different variety of each milk, like variety as far as like flavors. Yeah. So like, if you can think about almond milk, then you can think like, okay, there's three to four different types of almond milk. Think about soy milk. There's three to four different types of soy milk and the list goes on. Try it out. What's the milk that, um, uh, lactose intolerant, is that soy milk? What is that type of milk? Nah, lactose intolerant people could drink anything except for like dairy milk so almond milk or oat milk or oh, almond, okay so almond milk or soy milk okay. they, they oh. could drink any of those okay. but almond milk is not considered dairy though i know no. that is oh, okay. only to thing be, that's to, dairy is dairy comes from animals yeah 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 okay gotcha there's yeah, vegan butter too bro like yeah there's this thing that. i have i don't understand it but like it mimics the effects of butter and it's not that bad like <laughs> science yeah, if I, I had, if I could find like a like a um, vegan dish that I really like, then I I'll probably might be able to do it. But I just I haven't found that though. I haven't found like a good vegan dish. Well, I haven't really tried it any too, but I haven't found one either. I got one. You got there's, one. There's yeah, there's a there's a lot of so I've had vegan and vegetarian dishes before, and they were they were good, but I can't I can't have that lifestyle for myself just because it's not filling enough. Just the sheer quantity of food that I need to eat because I already eat a lot of food. And then with having that kind of lifestyle, it's not going to fill me up as much. So I'm essentially doubling anything that I would already eat. Do you feel you're eating too much though? Like, do you feel you I have feel to like eat? I'm eating too much? Yeah. Do you feel you have to eat that much? Yes. Are you genuinely hungry though? Yes. Or... It's like, okay. I, so you've seen, you've seen like what I cook on, like, I post on Instagram and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So like the entire plate is like this big and I can eat the entire plate of food and I'll still be hungry afterwards. So it's not something to where, 
I could just have half the portion and be satisfied. Like, it's like, no, I'm like legitimately hungry. I'm not doing it to be gluttonous. This is just something that I mean, I've always been that way. Do you but think you're not giving to, your body a chance to adapt? Do I think I'm not? Could you I'll, elaborate on that? Yeah. So when I first started doing intermittent fasting, like my body went through this adaptation phase to where like, and excuse the uh, like vivid imagery, but like I had really bad diarrhea and I would, you know, um, my body would, I would automatically wake up at like 4.30. I could go to sleep, you know, midnight and still wake up at 4.30 automatically. So I think like, have you truly given your body the chance to adapt to either a restricted eating window or changing its, uh, what you're feeding it? I mean, you know, your body's used to a certain amount of calories. Like for me, when I was in the prime of working out, I could eat three, four meals a day well over 2000 calories and be fine. But then as we started to work from home, some days I'm not even hitting a thousand. And like, after a while, my body just got used to it to where like, if I tried to eat two or three or three or four meals a day, it would be more of a task. Whereas before it was just routine. Like, all right, I wake up, I go to work in the morning. I, um, I get, you know, cheddar biscuit and, and eggs. In between breakfast and lunch, I have pistachios or almonds and a protein shake. Then when I get into lunch, I'm having, you know, whatever they have, I'm having chicken, rice, and a vegetable. Mm -hmm. And then in between lunch and dinner or the end of my day, I'm having, you know, another almond snack or I'm having yogurt or something like that. And then I go home and eat. And like, so my body was really accustomed to that schedule until COVID hit. Right. And there's a little bit of adjustment period because I'm not eating as much. Like I was probably ordering, you know, a lot more Chick-fil-A or things like that. But it just got to a point to where, like, you know, I don't have a desire to eat 2,000 calories. Like, my body has adjusted. So I'd have to go through a readjustment period that would be very, very difficult to start eating more. So I'm pretty sure your body would go through that same adjustment period as if you were to start eating less. I just think that, you know, mentally, that's just, like, a big thing to grasp because, like, you, your, your, your body and your brain functions off of, you know, what you feed it. And if you're at a high... Um, I'm not gonna say high capacity job, but if you're at a job that requires a, a great amount of focus, then you know, you know, sometimes you're not willing to sacrifice that time it takes for your body to adjust. I, I definitely could see what you're saying. It's just like uh, your body's used to accommodating a certain amount of calories, so it becomes routine. You train yourself to expect that, and so if you don't have it, then you feel dissatisfied. Which I feel like that could be true, but also it's not my, decreasing my caloric intake is not a concern of mine currently because I'm not overweight. So, I mean, if, if that does become a problem, then yeah, for sure. Please do let me know. Like, I expect you guys, <laughs> we're supposed to be boys. Like, you see me starting to, starting to look out of shape. Please do let me know. No, nah, no. Nah, what you call yourself yesterday on Instagram, man? Oh, <laughs> big, big body. This big. morning, big body. <laughs> <laughs> he said he on the way, man. Oh, it was like, no, this man did not. <laughs> he on the way. What's in Grant? I was going to say, I was about to divert as well. I was about to, So there's this thing I keep thinking more and more about. I want to know if you guys um, have like a belief in it. Like, do you actually believe that leaving your hometown or whatever could be the cheat code in life that you're looking for to, to detach away from certain situations, whether it be, you know, comfort with family, like you're not as dedicated to your craft when you're around family or um, abusive situations, whatever, like 
whatever you want to put in the scope, like, do you actually think that's a feasible thing or is it an escape from kind of what we talked about when we were off the air a few episodes ago, where it's like, it's you escaping from traumatic experiences or it's you using it as an escape to get away, not realizing that those experiences still need addressing. Josh, I'll allow you to address that first if you like. Um, I've always thought that it was escape. Uh, if I if I'm going down which what I think you're talking about, uh, I I I have thought that it was escape that you're not actually focusing because I have heard a lot of people say like I'm gonna move out like I'm gonna move, but I always felt like you moving doesn't like solve any problem. Like you just changing your setting you're not actually solving any problems so that's really why i felt that way but i've heard that a lot about people like yo i want to move to texas i want to move to florida or something like that but like to just like start a new start new or something like that but i feel like you're just you're definitely just like you're you're avoiding a problem i feel yeah because i i kind of in this i kind of in the same way because i because this is how i look at it because i every time i mess up on my schedule I always think to the next week, like, okay, I can start over next week and do better next week. But that always doesn't always happen. So that's how I look at it too. Like, I'm not fixing a problem this week. I'm waiting till next week to probably repeat the same fucking problem. So that's why, <laughs> so, that, so that, that, that's how, that's really how I look at it. So yeah, that's why I feel it's like just the same thing. I I, yeah, I, I've heard that a lot though. Yeah, people want to go. Say that it depends on the problem that the person is looking to address. And I think one of the most beautiful quotes that I've ever heard was when Desmond said that when you remove yourself from the trauma, it doesn't make the trauma go away. And it was just, it was just very, very insightful, very eye-opening because that's the approach that a lot of people take is by removing yourself from the immediate situation, like with a fire, for example. If you burn yourself and you remove your hand from the flame, your hand still has to burn. You still have to let that heal and, and address that. Otherwise, you, see, you have a wound that could possibly fester or get infected. So the same thing applies to like situations that we experience in life. And I think that's something that a lot of people, they're ignorant of. They think of a short-term fix by removing your hand. It's just like, everything's fine, which what it isn't. But I would say from a personal standpoint, I actually did that. I left my, my home area, I guess, to go to university. So I'm from a small town from two hours north of Norfolk and came out here and then I've been living on my own. And I feel like this has afforded me opportunities that I would not have had otherwise. And in my example, it was more so out of necessity of opportunity just because of the field that I was interested in. So working in the tech space, there are far more opportunities here than in a rural town with the population of 2000 people with cornfields and like no knock to them. I love the place, I love to go visit. I have family there, I grew up there, that's where I'm from. But just for what I want out of life, that well, it would be more difficult for me to attain that had I stayed there. And I feel like that your environment through, to the degree you can control it, your environment should facilitate your growth and development. So once I feel like I've outgrown Norfolk as well, I may have to transition somewhere else. And I feel like that may be approaching within the next few years, but I feel like if, if I have ambitious goals, desires, dreams, and things I want to achieve, then I should be moving in accordance with that. So like I said, when I came to university here, there were people like, for example, if I if I would have stayed in Warsaw, I would have never met Josh and through extension, I would have never met Des. We would have never had the podcast. I'm, I may have never had a podcast period that I was part of. So it's just through coming here, I was able to interact with people who I would have 
never met otherwise, had career opportunities. Um, just the, just the sheer breadth of experiences that I've had have been afforded to me because I stepped out of my comfort zone. And even back when I was younger, when I was doing college tours and I was part of the uh, pre-college program, Upward Bound, I had visited several universities and I think I visited like 40 something schools before I picked one. And it was a routine thing where like every summer they would take us for a week to go to go stay somewhere else in a different state and do college tours. And it was just like, by me broadening my horizons experience in different places in the world, traveling, it really opened my mind to what else is out there. So it really encouraged and fostered that desire for more because I wasn't satisfied with what I had. I wasn't satisfied with my current status or, or where I was in life. And I think that is something is by not doing that, by not at least taking the chance to step outside of your comfort zone, you're doing yourself a disservice. And it doesn't say that everybody has to do that. And, and you're a failure if you don't do that. It's just like, if your goal should dictate that your goals and where you want to be in life should dictate whether or not that's a necessity. Cause like for me being able to travel to New York, Georgia, Florida, like even though it's just this place on the East coast, that's a lot of experiences that other people may not have. And just by me going those places, I've interacted with people that I would have never had the chance to otherwise. And they, they teach me things. I've, I've had to have the opportunity to have conversations with them and see things, experience things that I think that's invaluable just from a personal standpoint. Yeah. I'm really glad that you answered it that way because that's the way that I was gearing towards I definitely appreciate Josh's perspective because that's the perspective I have when I see people who are stagnant. Mm -hmm. Like I see that them, that's like their way of almost copping a plea. Like you are so disillusioned that you think that going to a place that is, you know, maybe rightfully so economically more um, stable and, you know, has more economic opportunity that you're going to go there and be successful well, what right. I've seen more times than not is that people go there and they get lost in the fast paced life that comes with those places. And like for me, my not necessarily dream is but my reality of where I feel life is going to eventually pull me is to the Pacific Northwest. Why? Because of logical reasons. Like when, as I become more successful with day trading, being on the East coast is almost like the worst place to be because you know, markets open up in Europe at 3 a.m. Whereas if I'm on the West Coast, instead of me having to have this, you know, very rigid and routine schedules where I have to be in bed by nine o'clock so I can be up at 3 a.m. or whatever, 3 a.m. on the West Coast is 12. That way I can still keep some normalcy to what my current routine is where if I want to stay up late, then I can. So I feel like just personality economic reasons and then just my love for you know terrain like I'm a big fan of mountains like when I lived in Japan I had this big fascination with Mount Fuji and like any day it was visible from the base I wanted to see it I remember when I was in uh when I was on the basketball team my sophomore year we went to Camp Fuji which is like a marine base and I remember every morning wanting to go look out the window and see how visible you know the mountain was that day so I know just for a fact that like you know I'm not I'm not connected to, you know, two, 300 story or however many stories a skyscraper is in New York. I'm not connected to pearly white beaches in Miami or, um, you know, 
a beautiful mix of northern and southern, you know, life in Atlanta or Charlotte. Like I, as a person, am attracted to beautiful um, scenery, nature, whatever you want to call it. So with me knowing that stuff, like I'm not attracted to California because of beautiful weather or whatever. I'm attracted to Pacific Northwest because I know that I have an affinity for rain. I have an affinity for, you know, beautiful terrain and, you know, Pacific Northwest has some of the the um, tallest peaks, you know, in, in North America. And then on top of that, it will satisfy my economic reasons as well. So I'm not going to, you know, Pacific Northwest to look for work. I'm going to Pacific Northwest because it, it better fits my work schedule. So that would be the reason that I want to go, you know, regardless of if you factor in, you know, cost of living or whatever, because, you know, a lot of, um, I'm not gonna say a lot of tech companies, but a lot of companies are closer to that Pacific Northwest. Like, yeah, think about, you know, how a lot of, um, like how close Silicon Valley is to that area. You also have to think about, you know, Starbucks is headquartered there. I think Amazon might also be, you know, main, main based out of there as well. So like, it is expensive to live there, but for me, like with the rate or the route that I'm going, I feel like I would have the most fruitful life there. I love Virginia. I've spent, you know, every year of my life outside of the three years I lived in Japan and the, you know, year and a half that I was, you know, uh, born in Georgia, but, you know, for what I want out of life and what, you know, I know my interests are in, I think that naturally with time, I will have to afford myself the opportunity to go where I feel like I am, you know, one. And who's to say that Seattle might not be that place? Like it, it could yeah. just be like a, a fantasy, but nevertheless, like I know at some point, like, like you said, I'm going to outgrow Norfolk. I'm going to outgrow just Virginia in general and want to move. Like I love, I love, uh, love dc but dc isn't for me i i nah. would actually i would love to say that though like i actually had um caught myself when i went to richmond you know back in um october like i caught myself just looking like being amazed that like you know what i would only have seen in japan was like kind of visible in richmond to where like you know you have houses built leveled up like on 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 top of like hills or you know you want to say like those are little mountains or whatever like this is the first time i've seen that since I lived in Japan. Like for me, that was normal. Like just seeing, you know, houses built on top of hills or like um what like kind of like as you go in the slopes in and out of in and out of like um as elevation valley. changes. No, not not like a valley, but you know how like elevation will change. Like if you're uh you're going from sea level to maybe a few hundred or a thousand feet above, you have those little, you know, I guess you want to call them valleys or you know, your your inclines and declines within the terrain, like mm -hmm. you begin to see um, you know, how things are built at different levels. Like that was something that I had only saw in Japan, like in Norfolk or just, you know, the coastal plains area, like you don't see that. Yeah. I'm actually glad you had brought that last point up. You said that it might not work for you. It might not be where exactly you want to settle at or where you want to stay for life because that's another thing. It's like a lot of people are afraid of failing. And it's when you're, when you're kind of like in our age bracket and you have time on, on your side for the most part, if it doesn't work out, you can still move somewhere else. Or, mm -hmm. I mean, it does, it's not something like a permanent commitment. It's uh, like you're, you're, even though you have a plan, you're just as much as the rest of us trying to figure it out as you go and refine your approach. Yeah, I didn't know you had it. I didn't know you had an affinity for rain, but yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Like 
Seattle or Washington area, the Washington State, that area, I was I was thinking about moving there too because like I love the rain and I like I don't know it's just like the perfect place. But a lot of people don't like that place because it's like oh, I hate rain, you know what I mean? So yeah, but yeah, that's like a good <laughs> place uh, to be. And like I love I love the sun. Like I think that through my battles with mental health, like I've grown an appreciation for the sun and the energy that comes with it. But I just as my personality, it, it, my personality better reflects cloudy days. Like I know I can be a ball of energy when I choose to, but that's not my choosing. I know in my natural state, I'm a very mellow, laid back, you know, very stoic individual. And that's what I think of when I think of rain, like cloudy, rainy days, very, very stoic, very calm. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, nobody enjoys torrential downpours and things like that, but like a smooth, <laughs> calm, rainy day to where like, the rain is hitting at the perfect beat and, you know, you have a few, you know, few uh, lightning bolts and, you know, following thunder, you know, every now and then that isn't too drastic or too close or whatever. Like I enjoy times like that, but it's like, you know, there is a line when it comes to rain as well. <laughs> yeah. Especially walking in it. So, yeah. <laughs> but I actually don't mind it, man. Like not, not if it's a heavy downpour, I'm like, damn, but, but yeah, if it's like regular, yeah, that's like, fine. Bro, I've actually like played 21 basketball with my brother and of course with my friends at an earlier age and like pouring out the rain, like the rain doesn't bother me. I thought you about to say you just dancing like. What am I, Tom from the Boondocks? <laughs> Recreating the confessions of <laughs> Let It Burn video. Yeah, man. Car! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what are you saying, Brian? I was just curious. What are you guys currently looking forward to, if anything? Tomorrow. Take it to day at a time, baby. Give, give, give me a little bit more than that. Um, Right now, I'm currently looking forward to redefining my routine. Like, I'm starting to realize more that, like, working from home has its, uh, what's the word I want to use? It has its negatives for sure. And I think the biggest negative for me is the fact that I don't have to work till nine. So I treat it like it's a weekend. Like I'll wake up at 830 and miss a lot of moves in the market or I'll be very lazy and just, you know, I, I'll, I'll get up when it's time to start working or when it's time to aux in or whatever. And the biggest thing I'm looking forward to is implementing a 5 a.m. routine. Like I woke up at five this morning and um I saw the market wasn't moving the way I wanted to move, not in the sense of like I was losing anything, but it wasn't moving like how it normally moves. Like it wasn't a big surge like it was yesterday. So I just went back to sleep and I woke up at eight and I saw it starting to move and I entered my trade then. Like I, would kind of, I need to be more in the like a present mind frame that I'm not just waking up at five to trade. Like I'm waking up at five to get meditation time and to take a, you know, eventually implement cold showers, you know, get stretching sessions in to be like at that that place of Zen that I think everybody would want to strive for in a chaotic world. Like, even though we live in little, you know, Hampton roads, like there's still a big amount of chaos that comes with our life, you know, yeah. both inadvertently and advertently. So I think that for me, like I'm currently trying to challenge myself to reach that state of Zen before I even start my day, rather than trying to achieve it at a later point of my day, because somebody's pissed me off or, I'm just annoyed with the concept of work. Like that's my biggest challenge right now is to naturally achieve that state of Zen by being proactive because like I've, I've, uh, I've like 
I'm not going to say I have meditation um, mastered, but like, I just am one of those people that kind of realizes that like, yo, you have so much experience with this one thing, fucking apply it. Like I've taken Tai Chi. I've, um, I've taken yoga. I've been in sports my entire life. Like I know how to stretch. Now I just need to bring all these things together and just practice that stillness associated with everything and just put it all together. And I think that, you know, I think one of the greatest human flaws is we downplay ourselves. Like we continuously forget that the experience we were looking forward to two years ago and have achieved is still prevalent now. Like we get gain that experience and then we instantly look on, look into trying to gain more experience instead of actually basking in what experience you have currently gained. And like I was telling one of my friends that at the gym, you know, regardless of what you're going through, it's an experience. And you're going to continuously finding yourself re-experiencing this one experience because you refuse to feel what you're currently going through. I was like, you can either choose to go through it now, suffer with it for a year or two or a couple of months or however long it takes you to get over something, or you can continuously keep going down a path of searching for something new and taking those new experiences for granted because it's not genuine in your take of getting those new experiences. You're doing it as a means to push something to the side like you're doing it as a form of distraction so when you no longer have those um new experiences that old experience that you've been neglecting or trying to run away from resurfaces and it no longer allows you to truly appreciate everything you've experienced after that like if you think of if you go if you want to go on vacation and you're going on vacation as a means to get away from something that has truly been bugging you you're not going to enjoy that vacation as much as you could. You got to come back home. Exactly. And like, that's the one thing that I've was, I've been talking to my sister about it as well. It's like when I go on vacation, I don't want to leave feeling like I need a vacation from the vacation. Like I want to be able to go to a vacation or go on holiday or whatever, however you want to pronounce it and truly be in that place of Zen that I'm trying to get to every morning at 5 a.m. Like if I go to vacation and I'm just thinking about, God damn, it feels so good to be away from work. Then that's just going to be what occupies my mind the whole time. It's like, yeah, man, I'm so glad I'm not at work, man. I'm so glad I'm not at work. Like, oh yeah, when I get back to work, man, I'm gonna have to deal with X, Y, and Z. Like, no, like truly be content with what it is that you do in life, whether you want to do it or not. So when you go to these and get these new experiences, like you go to botanical garden, like you want to be able to talk about the cherry blossom festival that you're there. And you want to be able to recant everything that you say, or not recant. You want to be able to recall everything that you see to provide an experience for somebody else who wasn't even there. But a lot right. of people, they do all this stuff. Like you go to the Chrysler museum, you go to the cherry blossom festival, you go up to DC, you'll do all this stuff to serve as a distraction to where you can't even recall what you did. Think about, what way of living that is like for you to say that you're, you're living for that week of vacation. So you think about one week of 52 of the year, you may actually be in a satisfactory state to where you're actually happy and content with where you're at. And that's something that, I mean, just doing the, the, the simple math there, that's not something that I'm willing to do. Exactly. I'm very much in line with what you're trying to say, trying to create an environment for myself, not just a physical environment, but an environment that consists of like mental space, the habits and routines that I have, in which I'm happy and at least able to regulate myself in a more proactive fashion than, than like what you're saying, getting pissed off at work. And I mean, because it's, that's so minuscule in the, in the scale of things. Like you look at that micro interaction 
is something that may have happened over the span of like 30 minutes. It's like, damn, I really had a bad day. So that 30 minutes, well, I mean, that's 30 minutes out of what, 24 hours? So it's kind of like 23 and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, well, well yeah, 23 and a half. Together, but 23, yeah. I get you. We're on the same page. <laughs> but it's, I think it's, it's really easy for us to overstate things like in their, in their degree of importance and allow it to dictate our internal mood and I guess just our, our trajectory and everything. Like we'll let, we will really let one thing disrupt our entire week. And then we end up in a reactionary shit, trying to backpedal and trying to get ourselves back to a place where we're Facts. okay, or at least, or at least that baseline. And then you start it over again, as opposed to like, you're, I don't feel like that's really living. You're, you're just, you're kind of like a, a piece of plankton in the ocean, <laughs> <laughs> just floating around, getting the hell beat at you by the waves. Management came back and said, logistically, that just doesn't make sense. So we're not going to do it anymore. <laughs> Josh, what are you looking forward to, man? Um, growth of the channel, to be honest with you. Uh, like, the growth of the channel, whether it's the podcast, whether it's my movie reviews, whether it's, like, everything in general. But just, yeah, the growth of the, po- the, growth of the channel, really. Um to be like i haven't said this to you guys but i've been thinking about this for a while i've been thinking about quitting my job like to do this shit like full time and everything like that and it's not nothing immediate or anything but i just thought about it and i was and i and i sometimes become really hype about it and i sometimes feel like i'm a little bit scared which i guess is a little justifiable justifiable but um but yeah i have thought about that and i just thought about like going into it full time like releasing video after video because like really the space and the time I release videos, it's not consistent. So it's switched to the point that I don't, we don't bring in like uh, the, more, the amount of subscribers I want each time, whatever. So, because the more videos you put on YouTube, the more notoriety you get or the more it's seen, you know what I mean? So and right. it's, it's kind of, it's kind of obvious, but yeah. So it's really about that because it, I would have more time to actually do it, but that's really what I've been thinking about. Just really the growth of the channel, just getting over the hump and going to the next level whether it's with the podcast or whether it's with uh, the movie reviews and everything. So yeah, that, and I, and I, and I guess really for my, myself, I guess you could say we're like finally being consistent, but that's not really something to look forward to. That's something to actually fucking do. So like just, just actually being consistent because I haven't been to the gym in like two weeks. Cause I've just been doing other shit. <laughs> Cause like, so just, just being fucking consistent. I'm always catching up on some work I have to do. It's always something. I feel it's always something to worry about. That's a very reactionary way of looking at it. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> no, I think that's dope, though. I think that's that's a hell of a goal for you to achieve. And I, I mean, I I don't think that I don't think for a second that you wouldn't be able to to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know. I, I mean, I know. The content I have is uh, definitely good. I think the the best thing is you have if you have content that is different from everybody else and people actually like it then i feel you'll be you'll be good i feel i definitely do have that you know what i mean i have watchable content it's just about consistently putting it out more and more um yeah and i have like good good ideas too so but it's just about the time you know you only have 24 hours in a day then you have to sleep too so that's all that really is yeah it's the dilemma of being a entrepreneur somebody who wants to produce their own projects it's like you have to work for someone else or to sustain yourself, but you also have to work for yourself. And then between that, you have like the time that you have to sleep and it's just, it's starting to get away at you. Yeah, or you time or whatever. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. 
Exactly. So that's really it. What about you? Have you said what you're looking forward to? I haven't. And one thing, well, for one, the podcast, because I have lots of great ideas for once we uh, once we reconvene and start shooting episodes again after we take our break. I'm really looking forward to the direction that grows. Um, I think this is, I think I said this before, this is the project that I'm a part of that I'm most proud of just for the sheer amount of impact that it's had with me and the opportunities that's afforded me to think through ideas and discuss with you guys, to refine my thoughts, to interact and network with individuals I normally wouldn't have been able to and see that other people enjoy the content. Like I've had hour long discussions about people or with people who have seen things that we've said and it has impacted them one way or the other or it's something that they educated me on. And I really, I really am a person who are, who is really interested in ideas and just the discussion. And I, I really uh, appreciate that. So it's no surprise that I'm looking forward to the growth of this, this podcast and the channel in the future direction. And I would like to do this. I'd like to take this as far as, as we can make it go. That's, that's just the reality of it. And I guess something else that I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to being the best version of myself. So kind of what I had said before, and I know that may sound like a very generic answer, but I'm going to try to flesh it out a little more, is so I had spoke about being someone who the child version of myself is proud of. And just thinking and assessing everything that I'm doing through that lens and continuously one-upping myself and, and performing up to the standard that I know that I can. So it's like, Sometimes I feel that I could have done better, but recently I tried to go the extra mile just so that I know that I did to the fullest extent, whether it be when it comes to my physical fitness and persevering by doing an extra set, I guess that's the most black and white example or going through with the commitment that I told somebody that I was going to do when I really don't feel like it's just like just doing it and going through and pretty much living in a, in a way that I don't have any, any sort of regret. I really like the, like the feeling, the, the solace that I have when I know that I left it all on the table, that I know that there's nothing else to be done, that I know that I did what I wanted to. I really enjoy that. And so I guess making decisions based more so out of passion and what I want to do than fear. And like, this is a really exciting time in my life right now. I, I'm looking for a house. Like I've been looking since November and I came close to actually getting one. So that's, that's a really exciting time. I'm looking forward to that and being able to have like a garden in the backyard, for example, like that's, that's pretty much the hold up. So like with feel the love for it, like that's, I can't do, but so much with my balcony and the indoor setup. So I would love to eventually transition and do that again, but I, I want to do it at a larger scale. I'm not done with it. I have uh, a multitude of projects that I, that I have on the, the deck to come into fruition and, and share with everyone. So that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. I guess a brief uh, brief glimpse into that. Oh, okay. Sounds good. I like it. I like it. I kind of figured you were looking for a house because since you said the balcony didn't work, so. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Anything else you have, you, uh, you guys have for the uh, 100th episode? That's a huge milestone, man. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's what's that's I've been what's getting comments. Like, like, like I was talking to some so. friends. Yeah. Uh -huh. 
I was I was talking to some of my friends um earlier the past few weeks and they, they always ask about the podcast and they said, How many episodes are you guys at? I said, Well, we're doing a hundred this uh this coming up soon. I said, I thought you guys were like a thousand something, because you always put up videos just like it's not that much. We've only been doing this since 2018. And then we have breaks and in between, too. So. Yeah, and it's only 52 weeks in a year, so we can only put up 52 in a year, so yeah. And we have breaks, <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> but I, I understand, like, they don't, they're not in the operation like we are. And some it people may sense. not know that we do. It just feels like it. Not, that, it, it yeah, it just feels like it. And, it. and it's actually good that it feels like that, because it seems like we, we're doing a lot, so I think it's good. They feel like, oh, dang, you guys still put on episodes? Jeez, you guys like the Simpsons. <laughs> it, it's, it's not like, hey, what's that one thing you did this one time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's good, though. Uh, but if you guys don't have anything else, uh, we can shift to the something of the week that Desmond, I'm sure, has. This, over the course of these episodes, it's become more and more vague. At first, it was album of the week. Then it was book of the week. <laughs> That's why I started saying then song was... of the week. Because <laughs> he, he would put it like a song. He would put a book. He would do... Playlist. <laughs> Josh, yeah. you had me a week. This one time, you said you said paper of the week or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. No, I think it's going to be a little bit uh, vague as the future. Um as for future podcasts per se i honestly don't have nothing man like i've been more more honing in on my craft and you know i don't i don't put a lot of time into anything other than what i share with you guys like i've already given my netflix suggestions um i mean if you want me to give you anime of the week or anime of interest per se uh, i'm watching hunter hunter uh it's on (laughs) it's on hulu so if you want to check out hunter hunter you can definitely you know have a youtube uh subscription one of my boys said it's better in the sub version than it is dub so i'm actually going to transition over into the sub version of it but um but yeah man like my interests are very uh slim right now just because i think it's a natural um side effect to when like you truly find something you enjoy like you don't you don't continuously put idle time or you don't have idle time per se and so, like, music was something that I was really passionate about when I had the most time in the world because I didn't do anything. But I think as I find myself um, gearing away from things that don't serve me purpose, I begin to gravitate towards things that, like, I would truly enjoy. So, you know, right now, for whatever reason, I get more satisfaction out of, you know, Blacklist or a good educational documentary or, you know, anime of some sort like I get more satisfaction out of, out of that than music it's not to say that I don't still listen to music I've just given you all of my music suggestions like I still listen to Larry June a lot just because of the content of his lyrics so I've already had keep going as my album of the week that's what I'm still listening to to this day so you know if you want an album to listen to and I've already told you what it is it's keep going by Larry June but my true genuine um you know interest of the week would be hunter hunter so if you're in the anime or if you're just now getting into anime you know definitely check it out when you finish it let me know sure all right all right be sure to check it out but if you guys like the discussion don't forget to hit the like button until next time